Glory to Jesus. Amen. Good morning to you. Um, again, um, happy to see our brothers here. I don't think we've met before, have we? Right? We haven't, eh? Okay. Um, well, my name is Jeff. Um, good to meet you. Thank you for coming for the meeting this morning. Uh, just to fellowship with us. We started last night on a, on a I believe, on a strong note by God's grace. Uh, the Lord... Uh, really blessed us um, yesterday. Um, my sister, good morning to you. I'm glad to see you <laughs> again. I've, I've heard so much about you, but I think we never uh, had a chance to meet face to face. So I'm glad to see you. Uh, my brother, Omoni, oh, oh, God bless you. <laughs> um, thank you for coming yesterday and thanks for your uh, testimony. Uh, we believe that's just the beginning of uh, greater things which the Lord will begin to do in your life. Uh, my very bro uh, personal brother, Steve-O, Stephen, <laughs> our man of God, our prophet, <laughs> the prophet in the house. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Um, praise Jesus. Um, my brother, uh, Kelvin, and his wife, Sister Iduno, um, good morning to you. Um, amen. Please, can we just appreciate God for Pastor Bukumi? Um, he's the one who put this together. Um, thank God for you, sir, and for your wife, Sister Tovia. Let's bless God for her, please. Uh, thank you so much for just leading us in worship so beautifully. Uh, the Lord bless you. And the Lord will continue to strengthen you and give you grace um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for another awesome day um, in your presence. Thank you for the grace that raised us up this morning and brought us to this place to be blessed by you. Thank you. We haven't come to any man because no man can bless men. But Father, you are the one from whom blessings flow. He says that every good and perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness and there is no shadow of turning. Our Lord, we just look to you this morning and help us to find help. We want to find help to key into your spirit. Lord, not to move our own way this morning, but Father, to find the path which you have already charted in the spirit for us, the path that will lead us into great blessing in the name of Jesus. Come and bring inspiration for the teaching of the word, I pray. Come and use my vessel in this moment. Just come and take it over and make it your own very conduit of God to push out your blessing into the hearts of your people. 
Father, I am asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you to quicken our understanding, to open our eyes, to cause veils to fall. In the name of Jesus, I ask for the spirit of unveiling, the Holy Ghost, which searcheth even the deep things of God to come and search those things out today and bring a revelation of your life. Thank you, our Father. Let no, let no soul that's here this morning live without a remarkable blessing. Amen. Thank you, our Father. We give all the glory to your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Uh, so by God's grace, yesterday we just started to look at the concept. I believe yesterday a lot of things that we said are things that we mostly know already or we have already a sense of by God's grace. Um, because I believe for every one of us here, there is already an appetite in our heart for the Lord, to, to seek the Lord, not just to stay at the surface, but to move into the depths of everything that God has for his people in these days. And I, I want to celebrate that appetite in you. I want to, there are many things you could all be doing this morning, I acknowledge that, uh, but to sit at the feet. You know, um, Jesus was saying to, was it to Mary? You know, that he was he said to Martha, you are encumbered about with many things, right? But he said to Mary that there's just one thing that's needful, that is, which is what she took. And she said that you have chosen that path which no man can take away from you. Praise God. I believe that you will receive things today which no man can take away from you. Precious resources for your soul. Praise God. So we began to look at the, uh, the concept of the life of God, you know, um, defining God's life and um, sort of drawing a contrast with the kind of life that um, we are sort of programmed to pursue on the earth. There is, a, there is an um, initial, I don't want to say initial, but it's sort of um, a programming that we have within us that affects our concept of life. Right? You know, life is not just breathing. Life means where do you sow your energy? Where do you sow your appetite? You know, where, show me what a man does most of the time, where his heart flows to. I'll tell you that is the man's life. Right? Life means how are you spending your existence? Where are you pouring your effort, your energy, your brain cells? Where are they invested into? So that's a summary of the life that a person is living. And we began to see that Jesus actually came not to start a religion, but he actually came to bring a new concept of life. That was that John chapter 10, verse 10, that we were reading. I'll just quote it. He said that the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said that I have come that you may what? Have life. He said, I have come. And that was Jesus speaking. It was in case there is any misunderstanding about why I came, to make it clear to you that I have come that they may have life and to have with what? More abundantly. So it's very clear that Jesus is in the transaction of giving life to men. And if you are not receiving life from Jesus, it means that most likely there's something wrong with your dealings with him. There's something wrong. There might be a misunderstanding somewhere, something you're not getting. Maybe a, maybe a shift of focus, maybe focusing on the wrong things, but Jesus actually came to give life. Praise God. Um, so this morning, 
um, the stirring in my heart is to sort of look, look further into how that life comes, you know, how that life is given, you know, how, you know, we are moving, we've moved beyond just the new birth by God's grace. We all understand the new birth. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says that if any man be in Christ, that he's a new creature, and all things are passed away, and behold what? All things and have become new. And we know that that new creature is talking about the spirit of man, that your spirit is recreated from the day you get born again. And that is a great work that nobody can do. In fact, that's an impossibility that only God could do. God had to send his son to pay the price. Praise Jesus. And because if any man believes, by believing in Jesus, according to Romans chapter 10, it says that if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That salvation is the quickening of your spirit that makes you a Christian. And I believe everybody here has experienced that. Your, your spirit is alive by God's grace and you, know, you are joined with Christ. Um, but the, the, the topic or the focus of this meeting is beyond that experience, you know, beyond that experience of being a Christian, of your spirit being raised from the dead, um, what should you do with your soul while you are on the earth? And we're now beginning to see that Jesus is saying that my main reason for coming is that men may not just, uh, you know, there's a lot in what Jesus said. I mean, if Jesus was just speaking about being born again. Why would we be using the language more abundantly? So is it that you didn't get born again fully first time? You need to get born again with more born again stuff. Oh, what is, so that would tell you that that's not the language of the spirit. right? You know, when you're speaking concerning the spirit, the Bible says that if anyone is joined with Christ, he's one spirit with him. That's the new birth. They don't need to add anything to your spirit again that you've been joined with Christ, you already want, in fact, as you're sitting here right now, your spirit is Christ. When you, if you're able to use some kind of spiritual, microscopic something to look inside your spirit, man, you just see Christ there, that there's no difference between Christ and your spirit. You are all the same. You're one and the same. You are joined with him. Praise God. Uh, so thank God this, this spirit man is who you are and it's powerful. You must know that. You know, that's the whole, con um, the whole conversation of new creation realities, is to tell you and make you know who you are. And don't let any devil lie to you. Your spirit, once you are raised and you are a Christian, your spirit man is Christ. And that's no small thing. It means you are now named after the family of God. It means that Satan can only lay claim to you to the extent to which you submit yourself to him that really he has no legal claim in that sense to you, That's that yeah, you have been exploited from him. Jesus has taken you away from him. Actually, when they check in the spirit, your son's name is named after God. You don't, you've, they shifted you from a household of Satan, and you moved into a new household. Praise Jesus. What they, are you not happy that someone can do that kind of thing for you that you can never do by yourself? And they say, all you need to do is just believe it. The moment you believe it, imagine just by believing, in an instant, they go into your spirit and they recreate your spirit, a new creature. Praise Jesus. So we thank God for that miracle. Amen. Amen. Uh, but we are now looking at man. You know, man is tripartite in nature. 
which means man is a spirit. We are all a spirit. But you have a soul. And your spirit and your soul lives in your body. So your body is the house that houses your spirit and your soul. If you check the, the spirit and the soul, they're actually almost glued together. You can't really separate. In fact, it's hard to even see the separation. The only thing that can show you the difference between the spirit and the soul is the word of God, which is quick and powerful. You know that it said dividing asunder of what soul and spirit and all of that. Then it said the sana of the thought and the intent of the heart. Praise Jesus. So, and when you, when you go into the world, you can never understand who man is. Psychology can never tell you that. Have you realized that? Have you ever met a shrink before that tells you, you know, let's, it's your problem. Let's just move beyond. Uh, let's look into your spirit. They say, okay, man. You, why are you having all these issues? Because there's something wrong with your spirit. No, they don't, they don't even see the spirit. Like all psychology sees is the mind. And the mind is not even all of the soul. The mind is the upper layer of the soul that uses the brain in the body. You know, the brain is not in your soul. Your brain is in your body. Your brain, your nervous system, which you use for thinking and all that, is in your body. But your mind, according to the scripture, is, is not your brain. Your mind, the one which they want to renew, you know, that be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a spiritual process. It's not your body. It's your mind. So the mind, when they say have the mind of Christ, they didn't say have the brain of Christ. That when you are sleeping, they would do a, a, a surgical operation and take your brain away. And, you know, it's not, so there's something called mind in the Bible, which is not part of your body. It's actually part of your soul. But it's the outer or the upper layer of your soul that, that uses the, it's the brain, it's the mind that uses the brain to think. So it's the outer side of the soul that relates with the body. That's what you call the mind. But from the Bible, we also realize that there's a deeper part of the soul. So if you want to use scriptural terms, you will just divide the soul into the mind and the heart. In the Old Testament, it's hard to see the division because the New Testament, which has the wisdom of dividing them, hasn't come. So sometimes in the Old Testament, when they say heart, sometimes they mean heart. Sometimes they mean mind. They use heart for both. But the New Testament is more accurate, that when they're talking of mind, they address, especially Paul, Paul spoke, to not be carnally minded. To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Praise Jesus. So there is, your soul is made up of the mind and the heart. The heart is deeper than the mind. The heart is the spiritual part of the soul, the one that talks with your spirit man, that one that communes with your spirit man in the depth of there, which is also where your conscience is. You know what your conscience is? You know your conscience is not in your mind. And neither is it in your brain. Have you realized that? It's another thing altogether that when your brain has calculated everything it wants to do, something will just rise up and say, no, they're just not feeling it. It's just not, nah, it's not, it's, uh, we can't, it's, that's not the way. Where did you come from? You don't know. And then you ask, the, okay, where is your logical process? How did you arrive at saying no? He won't answer you. All he's just telling you is that this thing you want to do, right. is there something not right about it? Explain. Explain. He doesn't like to explain most of the time. <laughs> Praise Jesus. So it's good for us to understand ourselves. Science can never teach you who you are. 
It's not possible for a man who was created to just study himself and know who he is. Forget about all those things. They will only learn to a little surface of man. And they will get to a point where they can't answer many questions. You know what I mean? Like the kind of problems you are seeing that men have today are questions of the depth of the soul, the corruption that is in the world through laws that has gone into the depth of the soul and corrupted the hearts of men. And those things just simmer up to the mind. And the men begin to behave a certain way. But psychology can't answer those questions because psychology only sees how the, it, the psychology doesn't really see the mind, but rather it sees the effect of the mind, right? That ah, when you, are, you have this mood and they, have, they, def, they define all the moods, and they say sometimes you are down, you are, I don't know, I don't know the terms, but they, they have their terms that they use. <laughs> Praise Jesus. And then they see, they see how the mind affects the brain. You can connect things to your brain and map it out and say you have this something with your brain here and all of that. You see that. But when it comes to the fountain of where does a man's thought come from? Has anybody ever answered that question? Nobody has ever answered that question. Yeah. Where does the thought come from? How, what generates the thought? There is something deeper on the inside of man that's not just the brain and the body. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'm, I love science. I am a scientist. I'm actually an engineer by training. So I have no problem with science, you know, but I just, all my issue is that let's just know what its limitations are and let's not make science God. You understand what I mean? It has its limitations. Praise Jesus. Um, so to know man, the only thing on the earth, and I won't lie to you, the only thing on the earth that can explain, tell you who you are is the Bible. The only book on earth that can explain who man is is actually the Bible because it can talk about the depths of man, the souls of man, all the natures and all the properties of man. Praise Jesus. So the life, when Jesus Christ said in John chapter 10 verse 10 that they may have life. Let's quickly read it. Um, Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. John chapter 10. Um, it says that the thief, verse 10, the thief cometh not but to, for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it, what? More abundantly. So, the words that Jesus used there gives you a sense clearly that life is in measures. Not just the life of you being born again. I'm talking about the life that is in your soul, which means the life that is in your heart and the life that is in your mind. That the life of God in your heart and in your mind is in measure. You can have it very little. You can have it great. You can have it more abundantly. And he's saying here that my goal is that you may, might have life, and you might have life more what? More abundantly. Amen. So let's begin to look now into this, this concept of life. Now, um, life, you know, if you want to trace life, where did the life inside man, where did it begin from? You have to go all the way to Genesis. Do you agree with that? 
you, have to, you must go all the way to Genesis. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, let's go back to Genesis. Let's just see a few things. Um, we don't spend too much time there, but it's good to have a concept of from the beginning. Um, let me just use my words. We all know we've read it. We know, we know what's in Genesis chapter 1, the creation. So in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says, and then God what, created what, man, right? And when God created man in Genesis chapter 1, you were not seen. Let's say after all the events of Genesis chapter 1, if you came to the earth, you know, he has created the earth, he was without form and void, the Spirit of God was upon the face of the waters, he now began to speak, he brought forth the lights, he brought forth the trees, everything, the mountains, brought forth all, you know, spoke into existence, he was just speaking things into existence. Now, if you came after Genesis chapter 1, and when you look at the earth, you will not see anybody. It means Adam wasn't on the earth physically. Even though Adam had been created, but you won't see Adam on the earth. Because Genesis chapter 1 was actually the creation of man as his spirit. It wasn't until Genesis chapter, and most my proof, my proof is by when you get to chapter 2 of Genesis, they now say that there was no man to till the ground. Let's see. Verse 5, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, are you seeing all these things here? But let's go back again. Verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That's Genesis 2 now, verse 3. God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth. What's the meaning of that? So it means God made them and he made every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. <laughs> you see that? For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth yet, and there was not a man to till the ground. So, but God has already created man in chapter 1. Do you understand? But it means that that man who created was still in the spirit. God, man was a spirit. When God was blessing, blessed him, and then multiplied, he was talking to his spirit man. All of those things, it means that dominion of man is actually inside the spirit man. And that's why Satan hates your spirit man. And he went and he just killed it. Because that thing, that, oh, it means that if he leaves the spirit alive on the earth, this man is the owner of the earth. In order to subvert the plan of God for man, he has to try and kill that spirit. Praise Jesus. And when Jesus Christ came, when he wants to encounter a man, the first thing he would do is to raise that spirit back because that spirit is the owner of the earth. Praise Jesus. But at this point here, the man wasn't there so he, because he hasn't yet... Man had been created, but man has not been formed. There's something called formation that's different from creation. 
So at this point here, it now says, but they went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. So without a man being involved, God caused maybe his spirit, raised up a mist to water the ground because man wasn't there. But then verse 6, he then said, verse 7, and then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life. And then what? Man became a living soul. You're now seeing formation here happening in chapter 2. And the formation that happened in chapter 2 of Genesis was twofold. It was the formation of the body, which came off the ground, and second, the formation of the soul, which was an operation of the breath of God into man. And they said that this man became a living soul. A living soul means a soul that had the breath or the deposit of what? The life of God inside him. So, that would, that, so now there are different ways you can consider life. When we say spiritual life, spiritual life in the soul is more like is a program. It's like is a software. It's like is the software that's, that's running the hardware of the man. Do you understand that? So then, if it's a software, let's let's move into the software world a little bit and let's just talk about that area. Amen. Uh, is there any software engineer in the room or software person? Anybody? Uh, oh, okay. Praise who? <laughs> Okay, Pastor Bukumi. <laughs> Amen. Okay, I'll just say just a little basics of software. Every software is a law. Does that make any sense to you? Every software, if you see the way software is written, so software, when you reduce, bring it down, it's just a list of instructions for a hardware to accomplish. And when you actually reduce software down to its barest minimum, it's a list of zeros and ones bunch of, and they are basically instructions, binary instructions, right, that runs on the hardware of the system. And that software is the law of that computer. That no matter how excited the computer becomes, let's say, instead of plugging it into um, how many 110 volts, you go and plug it into 220 volts, no matter what you do to it, it will not behave outside what is the software that is written and programmed on it. Do you see that? So, so, so it means that what we call life, life is actually the operating system. So when you see a soul, every, and everybody has an operating system in them. Every man on the earth. Is, that operating system is almost like their logos. That every man has his logos. means the, the word that is installed in him. Are you getting what I'm saying? That, so life on the inside actually is a law. Life is a law. Is the life means code of existence. Like what are the rules that this living thing obeys in the carrying out of their life or in the manifestation of their life? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so it means that spiritual life that is residing in the soul, right, is actually what determines the nature and the quality of a person. And when you look at a computer, for example, you know, a computer has its own operating system, right? Now, when you are using the operating system, you give it some commands. Do this, do that. Then the operating system will take that command and check, based on my law, 
what am I supposed to do with such input? If it's supposed to be a calculation, it will use that law to do what? Do the calculation and give you an output. It will not give you an output different from what, what is programmed on the inside of it. So if the programming is wrong, the answer will be wrong. If the programming is correct, the answer, the answer that you get or the utility of that machine is only as good as the software that is running on it. Does that make sense to you? So you can now, if you want to summarize what is the activity that that computer is doing, is what you call exercise of judgment. Judgment within the heart. So to arrive at the right answer, I have to use the program on the inside. Are you getting what I'm saying? So to be honest with you, God's life, as far as it's, you know, it resides in the soul, is actually the law of living. It's a code. And that code is really, if you want to check, where is the, the disk that the, the, the right life upon? It's, so, it's a department of the heart called the conscience. It's, all, it's actually, the, when you check the heart, the heart of a man is like a tablet. It's a book for writing. If you can get that spiritual Google I spoke about and then look at the soul and say you want to check what is inside the soul and just look at the depth of the heart of every man, you just see handwritings. Those are handwritings. They are programming. That will tell you that this breath that God breathed into man was actually, God was just, you just see computer program. It's a spiritual computer program. Say this man, when evil things come, choose this, choose that, don't do this, don't do that. That's what constituted life inside of a man. They are just things God, and God has his way of doing it. But you know, God is stiff. It's not our own kind of one, 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 two. You have to pay a guy a hundred and something K, maybe a year. And in that whole year, what the guy writes is not even too much. You need many, you need many. Imagine how many human, how many human beings are working for all this computer, right? Just to write one tiny program. Because they have to write one, 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 one. But God is not like that. God is, God is not analog. Neither is it digital. Digital is too slow for him. God is spirit. Spirit is faster than digital. So, you see, God is, God is a computer programmer, but he's a, diff, he's a strange kind of programmer. Imagine someone who programs with breath. He just say, hey, he, he developed the hardware, hardware from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Take it. This is who you will be. <laughs> and imagine his breath traveling and writing upon man. And when he wrote in Adam out, and man became a living soul. Imagine Adam waking up with laws inside of him. When he sees the sun, he knows what it is. He looks at the ground, he knows what it is. He looks at the animal. After God actually said, since I've raised you now, I don't need to do anything else. Go and name the animals yourself. So, do you think he was asking God, what should I? No, 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 no. Everything you need to call them is check inside the program, inside of your heart. What I wrote, I wrote the answer. What should the lion be? The answer is inside your program. Say program. program. Praise Jesus. God is too awesome. Yes, sir. We, 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 we suffer because we don't really know God. We, when, you, when you come closer to the creator, hey, yeah, you, know, you know that 
You know, God, everything that is wrong with a man, God can fix it. He's the one who made men. You know, we say, ah, I always think this way. I'm not too sure about myself. I'm not too sure I make mistakes. Just get closer to God. If there's any wrong program, let's say, you know, there's something called viruses that come into the soul, like sin. Sin is a virus that came to Eden that, and made the computer that God has made. And he, sin, Satan read the program. We have to do something about this program. Why? Because he knows that if he doesn't stop that program, that God's destination for man was for man to actually inherit all. You know that program that God put in Adam wasn't God's own program. Do you agree with that? There's a difference. Do you, you get what I mean? There's a difference. There's a difference between uh, uh, ah. What should I use now? This computer has a software in it. But the software there is different from my phone. That thing is not as smart as my phone. Can you go and Google your way home from that place? But it has a screen, everything. It has things it can do. But you can't Google there. It means that that's a small, it's a less intelligent program than this one. You understand what I mean? And operating systems are not the same. So the operating system of God is higher. It's the operating system of the creator. He was not created. We don't even know how he came about. The first time we saw him was, was Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, when they say, in the beginning. But we now ask the question, what was before the beginning? Can you think about into that realm? That was the, that was the eternal realm and habitation of God. Before he began, before he invented time, God, as you know, in the beginning, the Bible says from John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. That's the first thing that they said, right? The word word, the, the Greek translation of that word word is called logos. Logos means program. It's called logic. That's where the word logic came from. So in the beginning, so that means that the logos is talking about the beginning logic of, of God, that when God first created, he just brought his lo a logic of himself into creation. That's the first thing that you saw in creation. And everything in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. It means that that word was the representation of his life on the inside of him, his entire program. And then and he now said that all things were made by him. It means that logos... Imagine it's a super immortal computer that is writing other computers by his breath. Even he began to create hardware. He started with creating hardware, which was the heaven. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which was all hardware. And said it was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And then that word God means logos. Out of his logos, he spoke. Let there be light. You know, his own way is different. He didn't go and look for energy generation and dam the water and connect wire and get electricity. And no, he didn't, he didn't. In fact, when he said, let there be light, he wasn't talking about sun and moon because he hasn't created sun and moon then. It's another kind of light. It's a spiritual light that comes out of the logos of God. He said, and there was light. There was, there was no sun yet, sir. <laughs> it was later that he created sun. 
So I want to ask you, what kind of light were, were they talking about? It means that there's something called light that's beyond sun and electricity and all that. God has his own thing called light. Then later in the book of First John, he began to tell us that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So it means that the concept of light came from even from before the beginning. Everything you see is, in, is just, uh, it lives in a metaphorical existence, describing something that is in God. When you, everything you see, when you see, look at the sun, there is an actual thing called sun that is spiritual in God. What we see as the sun is just telling you that it is an example or a type of something. In the book of Romans chapter 1, it's telling us that the creation was is what shows us what all the things, they said about the invisible things of God are what clearly seen, even the eternal power and the Godhead through creation. Praise Jesus. I'm just setting the background for the message. The Lord is going to bless us this morning. Amen. What is inside my spirit? It is so exciting. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, um, the Lord, God created all things out of the Logos, right? And then, but when it came to man, God formed man from the creature, which is from the dust of the earth, and God breathed into his nostrils, the word, the breath of life. That was the first time we see man having life in his soul. Do you see that? The first time we see what? Man having what? Life inside his what? Inside his soul. But we know that something happened to that life because Satan came and Satan found a way to... Now, let me just explain what Satan did. What we call the fall of man and all of that. You know, we understand the concept that because of Adam's sinning, man's spirit died. We can, it's clear, we can see that but what we don't see is, okay, what about the life that was breathed into him in his soul and his mind, which is the judgment and the code of living that was inside his heart and his mind that made him a living soul? You now realize that there's another aspect of sin's impact that we don't see, which is the impact of sin on the soul not just impact of sin on killing the spirit. Does that make sense? And you now realize also that if the soul is, because the soul is actually writings, is actually a summation of laws, right? That laws in the soul cannot all be deleted just at once. That one, you don't need to go too far to understand that one. Right? If, let's say, you have a, a certain way of thinking, there's a way you actually judge, right? And I, I study you and I say, ah, there's a way this guy judges or there's a way this guy behaves. And if this guy comes into this particular situation, we know what he will do. You know you can know that about somebody. Has there, has there ever been somebody before, maybe, they told you that, um, this person said this. Hmm. When you heard it, you just calm down first. 
You see that this person said that, are you sure? Are you sure? You are comparing what they said the person said with something. What are you comparing it with? You are comparing it with what you know of the person. And what does that mean? When you say, I, I know this guy, I know him. This is how he behaves. You are talking about your knowledge of his logos. Means, means you've interacted with that person so long that you know the way the programming of their heart and their mind is. And because of that, you can approximate what they can say and what they can do. Do you see that? Now, everything that is written inside a person that informs their behavior and their character are things that they get. You see that little baby there? Olive. As little as she is now, there's something that is happening to her. What is happening to her is she has a spirit man, but, and she's developing physically, but there's something more significant going on with her is that there is the writing of her logos. As her mind, you see, her mind is developing. It's not only her brain that is developing. Her soul is also developing. And you say, okay, what is developing her brain? You can say, well, she watches A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, and she dances to it. And you play songs for her. And you can say, okay, she's learning all those things. When her daddy is talking, she can pick English words. And you say, that's developing her brain. That's one aspect. But what is developing her soul? What's developing her soul are all the summation of spiritual influences around her that you might not even be seeing all the time. If there are spirits in your home, a spirit of anger, just wait for some time. There's no day where she will decide, okay, because they are all getting angry, I'm going to get angry too. I'll be an angry person. It's not a brain decision. It's a spiritual operation. You see, a spirit in the home can, can culture nature. That's when most of us, all the things that we struggle with in our nature came from the spiritual environment that we were raised in. Are you seeing that? So, and... Satan, the work of Satan, when he came in Genesis and they ate the fruit, what the achievement of Satan was not just to make man sin against God, to make God angry. What killed man is not just God being angry, okay, go away, you've offended me. It's more than that. God is, if, if God says that, how many times should someone offend you before you... Yeah. And Jesus was saying 70 times, how much more God? If... Man says, Jesus was saying, be angry and do not sin. And I said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, giving you commandment as a man to somebody who offends you. How much more, God? You think God has, is taking all your sin in his heart and is angry at you. This one, uh, that one likes sinning all the time. So, is it, I, I'm, in fact, God will find him faith. We've, that's the way, in the religious mind, we've thought about repentance, forgiveness in that way. Ah, when you sin, hey, you don't even want to look at God, you're prayer. Ah! You want to cry. God is angry. You want to go into one corner and hide. Then you want to wait until when you feel like, ah, God's mind might have calmed down now. <laughs> then that's the moment when you now begin to pray. Father, Lord, please forgive me my sin. Everything that I did, please. please. Knowingly and unknowingly, everything that we pray for. It's because 
we, we think of God like a man. Yes, sir. The way we are. That because I did this thing, you are offended at me. That's not the way God is. If God is commanding you, forgive even before they offend you. How much more him? So God's problem is not that you did something against him and he's angry with you. No. No at all. God, what Christianity is, what Christianity comes to solve, is coming to solve a real problem. It's not an emotional business of trying to get God to always be happy. You know, that's the mood of our Christianity. Hey, what can I do? And then maybe you confess after some time, you now go and drop some money and give and do something good. That's the old concept of even the Catholics do that, you know, uh, trying to, you know, atone for your sins. Well, because we approximate God as as if he's like a man, but he's not. What God is angry with is a nature. It's a kind of program. Is another software that has a virus that does not function in man the way God wants it to function. So what God hates is that thing called sin or unrighteousness. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? And that thing is what Satan brought in Genesis to teach man. And the goal of Satan is so that he said, by one man's disobedience, the Bible says that sin entered into the world, and then what? Death through sin. And then death passed upon all men, for that word, all have sinned. Satan's goal is such that, now, can you, I want to see, can you change how you think of sin a little bit? Just adjust your, your concept of sin a bit. Just adjust it. Don't think of sin as... That thing that just makes God angry, you know, that act that you commit. Right? When you lie, hey, I just lied. Don't see that first of all as sin. I want you to see sin as a program that behaves differently from the program that God wrote and created for men. If you see sin that way, you now realize that a lot of things that we love are sin. That it might not involve going to fornicate, going to lie, going to kill, and going to commit murder. But if you want to check where is sin residing, just look around the whole world. Every time a man decides, let's build this, let's do this, he hasn't gotten a revelation from God. It didn't come from the, the mind of God. It came from just his own thought of, let's invent this and let's go forward and bring forth maybe an invention or something to better the life of man, that's what he calls sin. Do you understand? It's very simple. Let me define sin for, for you. Sin is every thought and everything that did not originate from the mind of God. Praise Jesus. Do you understand what I said? Sin is what? Every thought and what? Everything that did not what? Originate from where? From the mind of God. Then if you ask me what did not originate from the mind of God, examples of such things, our religious mind will be thinking of lying and stealing and doing 419 and prostitution and fornication. But 
all those things are outward um, manifestations of an inward program that is inside of man. You can see somebody who is, who is sinful might not lie and steal and fornicate and do all of those things. In other words, because those things are not really good things, even naturally. So you can find somebody who fulfills all the codes of morality, but inside his heart does not have a sense of the logos of God. That in his effort to better himself and better his life, he does things out that breaks the rule of God's life and God's whole approach. Praise God. That was what happened in Genesis. When the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil came that Satan brought, which is no, how we know how is our sin came, do you think that Eve saw fornication on the tree? Did, when Satan came in Genesis chapter 3, did he tell Eve, now you see this tree, look at it very well, it will make you a prostitute. Did you tell her, Eve, this tree will make you very good at doing 419? Or this tree will make you a, a nice, lovely drunkard. Are you seeing all the things we call sin today? This tree will make you an arm robber. In everything we call sin, what we think as sin, Satan did not mention any of those things. And to be honest with you, Eve did not see any of those things in the tree. Rather, what did he say to Eve? He said that this tree will make you, you will be like God. You, knowing good and evil. And then Eve saw, wow, she looked at the tree, wow, this tree is actually able to make one wise. It's good for food. Means that, and the tree itself is called the knowledge of good and evil. If I want to summarize to you what is the meaning of knowledge of good and evil, it means judgment. Ability to separate between good and evil. It's, so it means that what that tree of, of sin that killed man was, was another program, another wisdom, another judgment. Instead of God's own program of judging, this tree can give you another way of thinking. It's not just, you just know, you will know what to do. When you've taken on the seed of this tree, this tree will not be, will not be manifesting first of all as immoral things. You can trace the tree how it began to manifest with Cain. Started with Cain. I'm sorry we're not reading the Bible because these are long stories. I'm just trying to, you know, narrate the story to give us a background of what we're saying today. You can trace the, the behavior of the tree when Cain, when sin began to knock at his door, as the Bible says, that what was it pushing Cain to do? He pushed Cain to begin to Cain was almost like the father of civilization. He began to build cities, began to build houses, advancement. What was driving his advancement? Knowledge of good and evil. The first time that Adam and Eve acted after they ate the fruit, you saw the same manifestation. It wasn't that they went to go and start killing them. No, no, no. They just thought, we are naked. What is we are naked? Good and evil. Judgment. Another sense came into their mind. Ah, we are here. Okay, let's take fig leaves. They took fig leaves and sew aprons for themselves to cut inventions. 
Am I getting sense? Making some sense. So it's good. If you don't know what sin is, you cannot fight the devil. Devil want Christian to think religiously. And see like, oh, we are all okay. Let's just go and help all those alcoholics over there. Let's take coffee downtown and give the people who are. You don't know that some of those people who are downtown, they are cleaner in their soul than you in your nice car, nice house, and in your nice worship center. That's Satan for you. That was why nobody could understand Jesus. What kind of religious leader are you? Every time, that was the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes. What kind of religious leader are you? Every time we come around you, we always see sinners around you. We know that, we know this guy, he stole from the other one the other day, they caught him, they almost killed him. And then you are going to his house to go and eat. This other one is the tax collector, is a fraudster. This guy has bankrupted people in the neighborhood. <laughs> in fact, he even called some of them to be his disciples. They were one, that was the problem that the Jews and the Pharisees had with Jesus. This is your own thing. You, are, you look weird and different. Why are you going around sinners? What about us? Haven't you seen us? We Pharisees, we are so righteous and so, so holy. We don't steal. We don't kill. We don't bear false witness. We are not covetous. We don't do this. We don't do that. We don't do that. Why are you not with us? Why do you love the sinners more than we do? And Jesus began to tell them, you see, all those your things mean it nothing. Like I was saying yesterday, he said you are a whitewashed sepulcher, since you are a clean grave, but inside you, you are full of what? Dead men's bones. Praise God. Hallelujah. Am I making any sense to you at all? Yes, Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, I just want to quickly establish to us the concept of this thing called the life of God, right? God's life is more than just morality. God's life is, is has to do with the installation of the complex program of God. That's why you have, you see how big Bible is? So you see, Bible is not just a tiny pamphlet. They'll tell you, okay, maybe, now that you are born again, your destination is heaven. Just wait, one day you will die and go there. Now, now you can do anything you like on the earth. No. They have to write. Imagine how big this book is. All the things they have to write inside for the man to know. is for what? It, all these things are not just to stop you from being an arm robber or from being a, 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 a cheater in a 419. This Bible is the mind of God. It's to restore the programming of God's mind that when by the Spirit, who is the author of the Scripture, a man is able to come to the vocation of revelation, to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe life out of the Bible. You see, you have to come. How will man get back the life that he lost? He can only get back the life that he lost through God's method of programming, which is the breathing of what? It's through breath. Say breath. 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 Any, any Christian that is not in daily encounter with the breath of God will not be receiving the life of God. Do I make some sense to you? And when I say breath, in summary, can you summarize please? What is breath, my sister? Don't worry, you can do it. You heard everything I said. Yes. Please, just try. 
it's like you're a bit afraid that you will, you will get it wrong. You're blank. Okay. Does anybody else want to help us? What the breath of God is? It's life. Right. Uh, or the breath is the, is the mechanism through which the life is communicated. That was the sense I wanted us to see. Right. That God breathed into him the breath of life. Right. And he became a, he became a living soul. So, it means that that breath, and that word for breath means spirit, right? The actual um, um, Hebrew word for breath is spirit. So, so it means that spirit of God is what brings breath. So that will now make you understand that, ha, huh, it means that any kind of Christianity that has, that's absence of breath or spirit can never be can never answer or solve the problem of man. Because through spirit, all the problems that we have is through spirit. Like I was giving the example of this little girl, that what cultures the soul and write laws of the soul, amen, is the spiritual environment that she has. In every home, there's a kind of breath and aroma in the home. That breath is released by the conversation of the parents. Is a spiritual thing. You now discover that even when you don't expressly tell your daughter, behave like me in this way, she's just behaving like you somehow. Even in some things where you feel like you've not physically demonstrated, but she's somehow, there's a spirit of those properties around the home that raises children. Because what actually writes in the soul is what? Breath, or what you call spirit. Does that make sense to you? The breath of God or what? The spirit of God. That makes sense? Okay, let's quickly now open the Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Thank you, Father. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read from, from verse 1. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation from you, to, to you, sorry, or letters of commendation from you? Okay. Verse 2, ye are our epistle written. Do you see that now? Written in our heart, known and what? Read of what? All men. So this is almost like it's a bit complex, the convoluted statement. It's not that plain what he's saying. Now, he's pointing that verse two. He's pointing to people and he's writing who is writing to. He said that you who I'm writing to are our epistle written in our heart, known and read of all men. So he says that you, what you have become, is actually an epistle. Right, epistle means writings or a letter. You are an epistle that was written in our heart. So what he's saying is that what there is something that was written in our hearts that through our ministry you have become an embodiment of it. Do you see that? And that thing can be read of all men. It can be can be known 
and can be, be what? Red or vomit. That would tell you that the ministry of the New Testament are actually the giving of laws, or we call, we call it laws or software or code that should be written on men. And that thing, when it's written on men, it should be readable. Let's quickly read on and see. It says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit or the breath, is the same thing, of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in what? fleshy tables of the heart. You see that? So he's telling you that the way that the New Testament occurs, and, and the reason why he says you are our epistle is because you are declared to be the epistle of Christ as ministered by us. So what they're actually saying is that our actual apostolic ministry, like Paul is saying here, is to raise men in whom bears writings where things have been written, not with ink, but what? With the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone. The word, they use stone there because back in the day, that's where they used to write, like, it's doing a contrast with law of Moses. You know, law of Moses was also a writing of God, but God wrote it on a stone and gave commandments as the Ten Commandments. But it's saying here, that the ministry of the New Testament involves writing of laws not on a stone or not even on the paper, not with ink. It means not even written. So it means that the destination of everything God has said to man is not on a book like this, where they wrote ink. But the ministry of the New Testament is to, instead of ink, using spirit. And then the landing point of the laws or the code of God is where the heart of men. He calls it fleshy tables of what? Of the heart. He said, and such trust have we through Christ to who? To God word. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God, who has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but what? Of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but what? The Spirit giveth life. The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So you've seen, this thing I was saying about the life of God, how it comes is that it comes by the Spirit. That's what I want to establish to us, that it is the Spirit that what giveth life. So when Jesus Christ said in John chapter 10, verse 10, where we read that the thief cometh not, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly, there is a mechanism through which a soul now, who was born again and a Christian, but whose life can still be stolen. You know, I've described the mechanism through which life is stolen, right? Life, life is stolen, and the reason of how do I know is life that is being stolen? Because after stealing, it results in being killed. 
the thief cometh not but to steal first. When they steal and steal and steal, you say, ah, they've stolen so much from this, this solo. What's the impact of everything they've stolen? Like if you have a house and there are many goods in the house, then someone keeps stealing and stealing and stealing. After a while, the result of the stealing that have been done over time will be emptiness of the house. That, wow, this guy has nothing inside the house. So, but in this case, when it comes to the soul of man, the effect of stealing from the soul results in what? Death. That's killing. So it says, the thief cometh not but to steal. So what do you need to steal from a man for him to, be to, to, to die? Life. So if you said, I stole something from that guy, and, that, and then by stealing from him, the effect of it was that he was key, he, he died. It means that what you were stealing was actually life. It means that the life that is in a soul is in quantity and measure that can be stolen progressively. That when the thief is stealing the life, is reducing the quantity of life on the inside of the soul. And then the, the, the end of stealing and stealing and stealing and stealing is that he will be killed. He cometh not to, but to steal and to be killed. Then, but there's something worse than being killed, sirs and mars. That one is called destruction. What is the difference between being dead and being destroyed? There's a difference between being dead and being destroyed. Anything that is dead, you can bring it back to life. Anything that is destroyed, to be destroyed by definition means beyond have you ever seen, can something be destroyed and then be brought back? It's not possible. It means that if you could kill it, it means you remove life, you can bring life back. Because that thing from which life was stolen is still there. So the soul is still in, is still been, it still has its form that you can bring life back to the soul. But there's a point that life can be stolen. And this is the danger of leaving your soul just like that. Don't think that as a Christian, because you are born again, it guarantees you that you will be okay and that you will end up in heaven. Do you know why? Satan is not afraid of you being born again. And a church of born again people, the fact that you are all born again is not enough to stop Satan. When you gather on Sunday morning, he's there with you. When you attend service, he's attending service too. He's not afraid. I am born again. I'm a Christian. That doesn't stop Satan from stealing and killing and doing his job of destruction. When, and that's one of the problems we have today. When you see a Christian and an unbeliever, you almost cannot tell the difference between them. Because the same habits, the same way of thinking, the same life in the soul of a Christian... It's as if it's the same thing in an unbeliever. The only difference is that the Christian goes to church and calls the name of Jesus. That would tell you that Satan is not just moved by your spirit being born, being raised, that there is still an avenue to be stolen from in the soul. And then Jesus Christ is saying that this is why I have come to actually teach men and bring a solution to Satan, what stealing from what from men? Praise God! Can you give? Can we look at examples of how men are stolen from? Let's just let's just see. 
How does life leave the soul? It's by interaction with the world. That's the first way that life is stolen from the soul. Right? Interaction with what? With the world. The world is anointed and the world is designed to remove life from souls. Praise God. Now, how, how does the world do that? If we know that the removal of life is the, is the changing of the laws that has been written, it is done progressively. Ah, there was a time I used to be so convinced about this truth, but by interacting with judgments of the world, the, that conviction and that agreement concerning that truth becomes weakened and becomes broken. My resolve to live according to a certain standard gets broken in the heart. That's the way the world what steals from the soul. It's true. The world steals from the soul. It doesn't, it doesn't come. There is difference between a thief and a robber. Do you understand the difference between a thief and a robber? What's the difference? A robber comes with guns. But a thief he comes as your friend. In the Bible, yeah, there's a difference between a thief and a robber. A robber comes with guns. Hey, by force, give me all your property. Robbers are not the problem. It's thief. So it means that to steal, robbery doesn't involve wisdom. It's crude. It is brutal. Just give me your gun now. You money on your life. And you take, but a thief is different. When you to, to call, be qualified as that word thief, it's not every robber should be called a thief. To qualify as a thief, you must have skill and wisdom. There's a guile involved in stealing. Is that you have a way, wisdom, to make somebody somehow release their property to you. You understand? Their will, in other words, when someone has been stolen from, his will is participated. It's like 419, example of a thief is, when you see a 419 person, that's a thief. Without gun, no gun, nothing. He might never have seen gun in his life before. What is his gun? Talk. Emails. We just create one story like that. Hey, when you read this story, you say, this is my appointed time. He's a thief talking to you from across the Atlantic or something. He will paint a story, paint an image. In, in that email that you get, you will just see your, hey, see all my dreams in this life. Finally, luck has found me. Isn't that how the devil behaves? Ask me, what is this whole world? What is this whole lying world around us? The world that holds all our dreams, all that you need to become. Just look into the world, you see examples. Everything that you need to be, all your aspirations and the natural, the world will promise you. If you can follow through this path and this path and that path and this path, fulfill this at this point, go after this, go after that. Sow yourself in this kind of way. Those who are able to sow themselves into this, look at an example, you see what he has become. It will show you glories, like when Satan came to Jesus. You know that's what he wanted to do to Jesus. When he came to Jesus on, the, on that um, when he took him um, on the temptation in the wilderness, he came to him for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The peak of that temptation was when he took him 
to the pinnacle of the temple. He showed him what? To a high, sorry, high mountain. And the Bible says he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glories. And he said, all these things will I give to you if you just bow down and worship me. That's Satan for you. That same being who they call the God of this world. Right? You are the quickened who were once dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2, in which you once walked according to the cause of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that now walketh in who? In the children of disobedience. Praise God. So the devil, how he steals is that, how does 419 people steal Yahoo boys? They will create a story and a narrative. At behind that story is a promise of gain for you. That's how if because if that's the only way you can buy, you can get a man who has lost, who has corruption in him yeah. to go after something is you must be able to create a story, a narrative that has a promise of some kind of gain that if you follow through with this thing, you will gain all this money or there's something. That's the mind of a thief. Is to, when, when a thief is coming to you, he doesn't come and say, hey, give me everything. No. He says, I want to give you something. That's the language of a fraudster. Like you just say, hey, are there something? If you follow, just, it is a business we need to do. If you follow me, and in fact, everything is pure. This is a very secret deal. Nobody knows about it. We just need to quickly finish it. All we need is just some capital first. You must spend gain. Now, are you now seeing the problem? That what kills men are the things, the promises of gain on the earth. Gains are in different categories. John was speaking about them in 1 John chapter 2, when he was saying, love not the world. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Because if any man loves the world, the law. Why, why was he saying that? Is to stop men from being stolen from. Do not love the world. Do not love the world. Do not love the world. Love not the world, not the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And now began to say, and these are the things that are in the world. He mentioned them: the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the word pride of life. Now. What is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life? What is lust? Lust means an inward drive to have. An inward drive to gain. An inward drive to have something that is not in accordance with the word, the will and the provisions of God. Now, ask me, what is the world, this thing called the world? Are they saying, don't love existing on the earth? That's not what John was saying. The world, like I was using the, the, the um, analogy of software and hardware, that that word, world, there, is not talking about the physical creation of the earth. That one, God created that one. But the world in 1 John chapter 2 is the software that is, you can't lie. You can't deny, sorry, that there is a software running on the hardware of the earth. How do I know that there is a software? It means that there is another computer 
which the computer of your soul talks to. There's another computer which the computer inside of you relates with. This, they pass information back and forth. Is a, a supercomputer too. This thing called the world. Systems. They'll tell you, in this particular industry, to make it here, there are things you must do. And many, most of those times, those laws of making it in an industry are not written laws. If it was, if it was very easy to become the top lawyer in Canada, they'll tell you, to be a top lawyer, you must go to law school. And then when they say go to law school, then graduate, and then find a, a what? A company, be an articling student or something, and then start from scratch there, and then grow up. Is it that easy? There is a, a process written there, but those who get to the top, they, they know the secret. When you come to an, an atmosphere, an environment, you can begin to read the atmosphere. There are things people do in this place to rise. There are some, there are some ways you must sear your heart and kill some things inside of you. There are some deals you must be, able to, you must be willing to make. There are some kind of conversations. There are some things, agreements you must be willing. There are some lines you must be willing to cross. There are things... Are you getting what I'm saying? Every single sphere of this world has such unwritten code. You just see men acting. On the books, if we go to engineering fields, for example, there are physical organizations where you say, okay, these are the code of ethics, all of those things. Those things are there, but those are not the software running such places. You now realize that in the world, to gain the world, you must lose your soul. That was what Luke was saying. That what will it profit a man to gain the whole world? Why did he say, but it's possible to gain the world and gain your soul? No, those two things are to the opponent at the same time. As you are, if you are gaining the world, you are losing your soul. Are you getting what I'm trying to say? When you're saying, what does it mean to gain the world? To gain the world means to, to receive the dividend of lust. Right? Lost of the eyes, lost of the flesh, and then what? You see, pride of life. Check it, check it. Everywhere, every sphere in this world, those are the three unseen forces that drives men. When you check, why is this guy so driven? He can tell you, well, I just want to, there's a problem I want to solve. It's maybe solving hunger, solving, finding the cure to cancer. Very noble. Wow, awesome. I might say men should not solve solve cancer. I'm, I'm not saying that. Am I saying that God can't lead somebody into a field, a medical field or something to research and find the answer to that problem? That's not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that most men are not doing it by God. That the driving force is not what the wheel. It's not the, it's not the program of God that is driving the driving force. Unless we want to be dishonest about it. That what drives men are their lusts and their pride. Does that make any sense to you? Do you agree with me? What, and you see that those things called lust and pride, even in our Christian homes, right from when we are children, we have agents and preachers of lust and pride in the home. They are called our parents. I'm not saying speaking against our parents. They, they raised us according to the knowledge that they had. But the world is so sophisticated that the genius of this thing called the world that Satan made is that 
It should be controlling you, but you feel you are living your own life. You say, no, I just decided to be this, I just decided to be that. Okay, then I say, okay, you decided. How did you decide? When you now trace, you know, it takes light for you to be, you know, the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than every two-edged sword. And they pierce into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And they say that it's the discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. No man can discern their thought and their intent. Most people just live by what comes to their mind. A thought just came to them. Wow, why don't you be this? Why don't you pursue this, 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 um, this uh, maybe career or this achievement? But you don't know where the fountains from. Without the, the code and the logic and the word and the revelation of God in the heart, it's not possible for the thought and the intents of the heart to be discerned. And guess what? The problem that God has with men, men's sinfulness, lies in the thought and the intent of their heart. The path that is invisible to the conscious mind to see, which it will take only the breath of God, the spirit of God, to travel into the depths and bring discernment. No, no, that intent might not actually be good. Actually, why you want to do this is because of a lost or a pride yeah. that has been installed in your depths, maybe right from when you were a kid. Something you've lusted after is what is driving you. And if you pursue something on the basis of lust, you can never do that without losing life from your soul. The world is not an amusement park. Whether you like it or not, there's no neutral ground here. If you are living day to day and you are spending your energy on things, you are serving somebody. The, what you are doing with your life is somebody's script. You are a creature. You can't write your own script. Men are machines who execute the, right, the laws and the code of spirits. There's no exemption. Hey, I'm a self-made man. You are a liar. You are so ignorant. You are the most ignorant fellow on the earth. There is no such thing. No, it's just my ideas, my ambition. There is no such thing. You are a machine. God created you. You are designed to live out whatever is written in your heart. Oh, no, no, don't love, I don't like religion, religion, all these things, you know, it just slows you down, it's not archaic things, even the Bible, you can't even trust it, you don't even know anything, all these things, this modern time, let's move on, you're a free thinker, think your mind, <laughs> the person who is telling you if you're a free thinker, you're thinking your mind is a spirit, <laughs> it's the spirit that wants to use you, hey, he'll be talking to you, you are so smart, if you are free, don't let anybody control you. See that pastor, all those pastors, they're just trying to control people in everything. It's a spirit. The spirit that's telling you be free from pastors, he wants to control you. <laughs> that's why he wants you to feel like, oh, you're just a free thinker, a scientist. He's a what? He's a pastor too. 
They call him the prince of the power of the air. He said, you are the quicken who were once dead in trespasses and sins. Well, let's read up Ephesians quickly. I'm sorry. Um, so we can see the text in the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. Praise Jesus. Um, this, is a, this, is an, this is emphasis for our time and our generation. I won't lie to you. Because the days are evil. This is not the time. If you say, I don't want to be too, you know that, I don't want to be too spiritual. You know that too spiritual thing. I say, ah, let's leave that to me. I mean, I just want to be a simple guy. You know simple guys. See, when you, when in, the, in the last day, when, when you look at the lake of fire, you see many simple guys there. You know what I mean? It's be full of simple guys. Guys who just don't want to be. Ah, oh, all this church, 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 every time pray, every... Why can't we just be easy? Every life is not too hard. Like, why is why things? Why must things be so hard? You know what I mean? Yes, just nice, you know, dress up well, everything clean, clean English. Why all these things? See, what is is even good? I don't even know. Why am I killing myself? <laughs> Simple guys. Satan likes men like that. He likes dollars. He likes dollars who, are, who feel. They can live ignorantly of everything. Why? Because they will be what? They will be unarmed. The doors of their soul will be wide open. He can lead them. They will think, I'm just, I'm a deep thinker. You're a deep thinker. Where did your deep thought come from? Do you know how to generate thought by yourself? You're a man. Spirits give thoughts to men. The thoughts you think, who gave them to you? Do you know where they came from? Don't be deceived. You are, don't, imagine war in Afghanistan between, um, what do they call them? Who are those guys who are troubling, those terrorist people, the Taliban or whatever? Serious war, fighting. Bullets are flying, everything. Bullets on one side, the other side are flying. And you just go there with your bedroom slippers and, <laughs> to, to stick, and say, oh, I just want to be, I didn't offend you guys. I, just, <laughs> I don't want to be a simple guy, please. Now that bullet has traveled. You will he say this? No, this one is simple. Let us let's reroute because it's nothing like that in the spirit. You are in a war zone. There's a war for your soul. There's a war for your soul. There's a war for your soul. You can't. There's nothing you can do about it. He said, "Awake, you that sleepeth, arise." From the dead, Christ will give you life. There is no ignorance, man. If you don't serve God with your soul, you will serve the devil. And servants of the devil don't wear, look. They don't. Hey, devil, I worship you today. No, thank you. Devil, where are you? Servants of devil don't have poster of devil in their room with horns and everything. Servants of devil are nice guys with clean suit and big English. Those ones who are, have, who are looking for Satan, who they call watch, Satan worshiper, there's something called Church of Satan, right? Yeah. Those ones, they will look for Satan, they might not see him. Because Satan doesn't like such guys. <laughs> you, you are two of yours. <laughs> What's the meaning of this? <laughs> Satan, where are you? We hate God, we're looking for you, come. Satan, will let you please leave me. <laughs> leave me where I am, please. Let, let, me, let me stay in that place where I am and men don't see me. Yeah. 
Let men all be living by my program and let them not know I'm here. That's Satan for you. They call him the prince. Let's read that. The prince of the power of the air. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you had he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the cause of... Ah, this thing is scary. He's not saying a cause. He's just telling you there's something called the cause of this world. It's not optional. It's just something that when you come here, this is a falling wall. See, Adam relinquished the authority of the present world to Satan, and Satan has redesigned it for his purpose. You understand what I mean? That there's, and there's something called the cause of this world. Check it. Every man does, all men do the same thing. At this age, it's time to do this. At the other age, who, is, who said who? Have you ever, anybody, nobody pauses to ask. Why are we all, why, 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 why? Why, why are we all doing this? It's a cause. The web that defines such life for men is too thick. It's a spirit. A spirit who we surrender our atmosphere to. is the one who, who quicken men to develop systems such that to gain things on the earth, you must use your soul. To do it. Was it not Jesus that was saying that it's easier for a camel to enter into through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom? Why was this? Is it, is it that God just trying to make things hard? Or is it that God hates good, good things? Or doesn't want you to be rich? Is that God is too good. God, he won't lie to you. You see this thing called riches. There's nothing like just innocent riches. Am I saying you can't be rich? That's not what I'm saying. But what it takes to have plenty things and amass plenty things on the earth is possible. But somebody who is ignorant of the devices of Satan and with such ignorance goes into the world and begins to transact in the world, you don't have the wisdom to war against the enemies of your soul that want to take away life from the soul. You will find out that in trying to Live a prosperous life naturally. You are, it's driving your, your fire for God. Your hunger for God is dying. What kills your hunger for God? Did you go to a Satan shrine to worship there? And say, ah, I was on fire for God once. On that day I met that Babalawa and then I bowed down to him. Then all my fire for God down ended. Did you meet Satan on the road and Satan told you, hey, come here and then took your life from you. What kills fire from God? You spend some time in the presence of God, just going away and interacting with the world. Different things flood your consciousness, makes war with the agreements that you have made concerning God. After a while, you become lukewarm. You didn't go and sleep with somebody. You didn't commit fornication. You didn't go and do anything. Just by interacting with the world, the world is anointed. Is anointed with what? A spirit that can do negotiation with the depth of his soul and make it cold toward God. Even without you knowing that's what is going on. So you can't live in this world unarmed. Do you understand my point? I'm just going to show you that. And this is the truth. This is just the way it is. 
That's the way it is. The soul, there is, the reason for the New Testament is to demystify Satan, the, the complex organization of darkness which Satan has put in the world to steal life from men, to demystify it and give men the antidote against such a thing that you can live in this world without dying. You can live, let me tell you, it's possible to live in this world and be on fire for God every day. Every day of your life, your heart is burning for him. It's possible. But you can't do it by yourself. You can never do it by being a simple guy. Praise Jesus. He said, according, when in time past you walk, according to the cause of what? This world, according to the prince of who? The power of the air. What he calls him, the spirit that now worketh in the word. The children of what? Disobedient. There are some language they use here that are key. He called, him the, called it the cause of this world. And the cause of this world, which is the way that men go naturally without questioning, is according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, when they say air here, it's not physical air. The same way breath in Genesis did not mean physical breath. It was spirit. Air here is also a spiritual dimension. But they use the word air because it's a spiritual power, a spiritual position and dimension that has some metaphorical resemblance to the way air operates. How does air operate? Everybody, can you be in this room and refuse the air? It's not optional. It's air optional. Can you say, no, ah, I like that house. I like their TV, but I hate their air. So I will go sometimes and hang out and watch a movie. I won't breathe their air. There's only, the only one way you can do is you must have your own air. Either you come with your own oxygen tank. But let me tell you a secret. What I'm teaching you, the New Testament, is the oxygen tank of Jesus that has his own breath on the inside. But without that thing, you can never, because air is, the air is too invasive. Air does not respect your space. Air doesn't, does air ask you, do you like me? Do you want to breathe me? Uh, do, you want, do you like to breathe me today? Oh, do you want to take a break from breathing? I don't want to, to violate your human rights and your laws. You have a right to breathe what air you feel. So do you want me today? Air doesn't do that. Air, you can't even capture it. You can't stop it. Air is everywhere. Everybody. The one you are breathing is the same one. The other one is breathing. The other one is breathing it. That's how this thing is. That thing called the cause of this world is according to the prince of the power of the air. The same spirit that walketh in all the children. As long as anybody is living according to disobedience to the program of God, it's because of the, an air they are breathing. Not the physical air. He's talking about a prince, which is Satan, the devil, who has defined, who has taken over the spiritual atmosphere because of Satan relinquished it to him. And he said, from this vantage point, it can define how men think. 
You wonder, how do thoughts of men come? You see, complex system designed against man's quest for upward thinking. You know what I mean? The world is designed such that man should not look up to God for anything. There's, there's a drive for man to meet all his needs. Everything, the world is such that when all is said and done, at the end, men should be like, what's even the need for this God thing, self? When you look around, security is here, safety is here. There's money, you know how to get it. You need business, you know where to get it from. Everything is taken. With your own, at some point, your own children, when you even give birth to them, you don't have to even send them to school. Government will come and take them and send them to school for you. Everything is settled. So why do we need God? Is it, there's something around on this earth. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say? Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's spirits. It's not men on their own who are just by themselves deciding to build systems of the world that make the relevant. You see, the more developed men are, the less space for for God. Go to the third world. Everybody's God, God, God. Government does not work. In fact, there's nothing called government. In fact, the governments are a problem. They are all thieves. In fact, you are better off without the government in the third world because those ones they are. In fact, the government is part of the prayer point. They are about people you are praying to God for because they are your problem. But here, the more development, so-called development men attain, the more far from God man becomes. You see less and less of God. And am I saying development is bad? No. But I'm saying that man became so helpless that the only sense of development we have is the one that Satan gives. And that one, at the end of it, drives men from God. And to live in such a world, you must have another breath. There must be another way that spirit, amen, will begin to bring the message to a close today. I just hope someone has been blessed a little by what I'm saying. Um, amen, because I believe this is the heart of God for this season. Time of Christianity, as usual, just, you know, we're just going to church and but you don't. When you check your soul, you don't even care about what's happening inside of my heart. Is God pleased with me? Like, am I living according to the will of God? Am I living by divine revelation? My thoughts, are they in line with the will of God? You know, such things are out of the conversation of our Christianity of today. But these are the core of the Bible. Praise Jesus. So he says, verse 6, that who also had made us able ministers of the New Testament, that's 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, not of the letter, but what? Of the spirit, for the letter killeth, but what? The spirit giveth, the spirit giveth life. I love that, the spirit giveth life. Amen. Now, in the book of Romans, chapter 8, you see more of them speaking about that, that, idea of what the ministry of the New Testament is. Now, it's very clear that if you are a Christian, you are, a season of, you are under the season of the New Testament. Praise Jesus. You're under what? The season of what? Of the New World Testament. It means that you came under a season where under the, the sort of ministration and the help that Jesus Christ brought to the earth that there is something, this thing I've been describing about the world, about sin, it always got the better of men. Always. 
Look at the Israelites. You know, Israelites were the best in the world. Out of all the nations of the earth, God found the people. He called them out. He brought them out of Egypt, moved them into the wilderness. He brought his law. God came down on the Mount of Sinai and wrote down laws because he couldn't write on the hearts of the people. Before God had told Moses, tell these people, consecrate yourself, get ready. In three days, I'm coming down to meet with everybody. God had an intention to encounter the heart of every Israelite and put his laws in them. But when Jesus, the Lord came down on the mountain, the sight was so terrible. He began to quake and began to speak. They all ran away saying, Moses, please go and receive his law for us. So God couldn't encounter their heart. Rather, God gave tablets of stone, which were like ten commandments and many other ordinances that just summarize some way that man can be preserved on the earth. That if you follow this way of living, you won't just be abandoned to the prince of the power of the earth that corrupts men. Praise Jesus. But we know that the law, the men, because of that method of delivery of solution, which is not by the spirit in the heart of men, but rather instead it was writing on stones. Because of that, it, men was helpless. It's like, how can you compete writing on stone versus spirit, breath, air, writing in men? Do you understand what I mean? When you are in your workplace and you are beginning to think of all the glories that you want to get and the next move and you are plotting your move, how quick do those thoughts come to you? Pace, speed of light. They are spiritual thoughts. All kinds of things. When, imagine, have you ever caught yourself before in the moment of basking in your pride? Have you ever made pride plan before? It's a plan, but it's based on pride. What do I mean by that? It's based on the, an earthly glory that, you, that when you achieve that thing, ah, when I finish, when I have that thing, how will be men be looking at me? You imagine yourself in that state. I imagine all your friends. Hey, see this guy don't set. Hey, 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 look. Boy don't, deal. Boy don't land. The guy has arrived at that destination. It can be anything. It can be maybe an advancement in your career. Are you, are, you seeing, are you seeing the evil? The evil is not that you want to advance. The evil is what is driving it. The loss. He said these are the things that are in the world. The lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. And the pride of life. And when we are honest, these are the things that drive. You see, a, a parent will be installing that in their child. Ah, don't put me to shame. Oh. <laughs> What's the meaning of don't put me to shame? Oh? It means that you know all my friends and colleagues, you know their, their level. You know all their kids. This one has a bachelor's from Harvard. The other one has... Now, now, are they happy because now their child is learning, their child has gone to Harvard and has come, and now he can offer solution. They don't even know sometimes what the child even learned. It's just like, ah, Harvard, though. He went to Harvard so they can talk. Ah, my Pekin. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Are, those, are those the things that drive parents? Yes, sir. That's the honest truth. Yes, sir. Everybody is status-minded. Even when, the, even when you are dressing, yes, sir. everything about us is status-minded. It's a drive. But that same thing you are doing with such drive, there is a, can be a pure way that it can be done. But our hearts are too corrupt that we only think in terms of loss and pride. 
And all those thoughts, they are almost rising from a subconscious level. Why? Because they are installed there. But it's a life that men share on the earth. It's how to break out of such a thinking by your sheer will. It's very difficult to do that. So now imagine those, all those Israelites coming out of Israel and then to combat such forces in them. All you have is just a stone with Ten Commandments written. And maybe the priest has to be reading, reading it to them every, from every now and then. Thou shalt not covet your, your neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those things they summarize. Can, you, can those things stop the frequency of the suggestion of lust and pride? Those are spiritual impute. The evil, the spirits that pour such thought into the heart, they are with the soul day and night. They don't sleep. Even when you are sleeping, they are with you. When you wake up, they are with you. They are the, 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 the impulse through which men act on the earth. So that was the reason for the New Testament. God said, we can't leave man like this. I have to send my son now. And then John chapter 1 said, and then the Logos became flesh. That Logos, which is, what is the Logos? The Logos means the correct, the correction. Is the antivirus. Is the right logic. The right installment of motive. It's ways of thinking that removes lust and pride from the equation. It introduces forces of meekness, lowliness, brokenness, poverty of spirit, the fear of God, the love of God. Are you seeing all that? Those are all motivating factors. Things that can motivate a man apart from his lust and his pride which the world teaches. Have you ever seen a system on the world that's driven by meekness, brokenness, fear of God, poverty of spirit? Have you ever seen that? No, in this country, uh, profit is not important. Whether we make profit, we don't really care. Is um, we just all of you just be meek? <laughs> that can never happen. But when you go for interviews, some some of the guys that will interview you, they are they they are gurus in lust and pride. They know Satan has trained them, bad guys. When they they, they can weigh souls, when a, a soul that doesn't have enough lust in him comes. You, and you are talking, uh, yeah, well, what can you offer to this company? Uh, thank God for... We <laughs> 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 thank God for the way that God has positioned this company. Um, when I am I'm employed, I will make sure that, you know, uh, my manager, I will try and, you know, I will be respecting him. And they'll say, okay, uh-huh, that's good, it's good for you to... Because respecting your manager can help our bottom line because instead of fighting all the time, you can be working. So, no problem. Go on. So, uh, yeah, but really, the main thing about me is I'm a very good guy. Um, I don't really assume things that are not, you know, my own. I'm always humble and meek. Uh, okay, go on. I say, okay, what, so what's your vision? Well, I'll just try my best, you see. As far as the Lord gives me strength, I'll just do my best in this conflict. When you finish it, what will happen? Then another guy come and sit down. I say, yeah, so what do you see? And the guy just begins to talk. So what I have, I've just based on interacting with you, I can almost sense the vision of this company. And I can tell that in this certain, in this certain market space, and the market share of the company 
you know, is still limited. But there's a competitive edge. I feel that I have certain skills I can bring to the table. That while working in this place, you know, the competitor, they use A, B, and B, and C methodology. But when I come, there's a way we can do this and add some input from here and there. And before you know it, you will knock off your competitor out of the market. Hey! <laughs> now, 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 where is that sense coming from? There's just something that that guy who's interviewing the other guy, hey, they know each other secretly. They've never seen before. But it's a bond that they share that's stronger than people from the same village. It, because as he's talking, he's already seen all the profit. Hey, if this guy handled this job, hey, bonus next year. So it's what? Lost talking to lost. Does that make any sense to you? Praise God. So, that thing is a spirit that you find. To, to live in this world, like Jesus was saying that you should be in the world, but not of the world. It's not by mouth. Christians quote it. Most Christians who quote it, check their life, they are of the world. Is by there must be a power. There's a power to be in the world and not of the world. You must be breathing another air, another inspiration. There should be something on the inside of you that is different from everybody else. That thing, first of all, the first breath that comes from the New Testament is called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We just end there. Romans chapter 8. Thank you, Father. You know, I contrasted the situation of the Israelites. What they couldn't, what they couldn't fulfill because of the power of the prince of the power of the air was too strong. Just a law that they read from now and then on the paper. Those couldn't do anything. They were still dying. They were still disobeying God. Many of them, God had to kill them in the wilderness. They had unbelief. They couldn't trust in the promises of God. Praise Jesus. But God said we must do something as I must send my son. He must bring a new testament. Praise Jesus. Which is, will not be written with ink or on a stone, but be written with the spirit of the living God. Not on stone, but where? In fleshy what? tables of the heart. Quickly, this Romans chapter 8 as we're closing. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but what? After. Hey! This is a different way of living. This is not I'm born again, I go to church. This is this talking of walking. Walking. You can, you can go to church once a week, but walking is not once a week something. Walking means your, your waking moment till you sleep back. How are you living? The same way lust and pride don't take a break. You must have another activity as a Christian in your life that don't take a break. It's a continuous operation. Are you getting what I'm saying? He says that these are people, there's definitely no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus 
who walk not after the flesh means they don't obey the dictates of the flesh. What are the dictates of the flesh? The lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. They don't walk after the flesh. But they walk, they walk after the spirit. What does it mean to walk after the spirit? They walk after their computer walks according to the instruction of the breath of God. That's what it means to walk after the spirit. Because the spirit is the giver of the law or the instruction which your, your computer of your soul is executing. It's another way to walk entirely. These are men who live by inspiration. You can be in a, in a, in a place, in a workplace or an industry where everybody is driven by their lust. And the Lord can make you walk there because Jesus Christ said you can be in the world and not of the world. And in that moment, instead of going and, and after your ambitions and after your lust, another inspiration can rise from your depth for every situation. You see that interview I just said? Yeah. Holy Ghost can tell you what to say. Yeah. While you are in the workplace, Holy Spirit, and, it's, and let me tell you, it's not every time Holy Ghost can tell you what to say. Like he might tell you what to say. This dealing of the spirit, it shifts the priority. When the Holy Ghost is leading you, it's not about an objective, never. Because there's no objective on the earth that matches God's goal for your soul, which is to give you life. And to, that is the objective. So sometimes you say, okay, in this one you must suffer loss here. You say, this one is okay. Don't worry, you can lose this job. I'll bring another one for you later. You learn how to both abase and abound, as Paul said it. Because you are not governed, you are not like the world who is ambition, who is driven by ambition and their loss. But rather, your drive in life is to have life and to what? Have it. While you are having life and having it more abundantly, God can bring job for you. God can bring promotion. Sometimes he might not bring it. It might give you, put you in a season where you have to depend on your brethren to help you a little bit. Because in that season, they're still learning. Is it easy to teach you meekness if every single day of your life you have everything you want? When you just touch, send command to the account, things will happen. You know what I mean? When, have you heard of what card power before? Swiping power. You have swiping power. Means in any play, any play store you go to, once you swipe, what will happen? It's always confirmed. Approved. Can you ever learn meekness? Where do they teach soul how to be meek and broken? A lot of times they will subject you to a situation where you must depend on others. You must calm down. Like when they went to break. You know they say Moses was the meekest man on earth. It didn't come easy. The first picture of Moses was an angry guy. He killed somebody. Before you know it, he has killed the guy. Just... What kind of being was Moses? Two people were just, an Egyptian and Israelite were arguing. He just, he didn't even ask questions. Hey, what happened? He just, <laughs> only God, the way this broke his neck or something and buried him. He had anger issues. But God said, this man is going to lead my people. If after 40 years, he drove him into the wilderness. Broke him. After a while later, then I said, that same Moses who was raised in the palace was a stammerer. When God began to go, say, but I'm a stammerer. What made him a stammerer? Dealings in the wilderness. What's the wilderness are dry places. Things don't work. Plant, it won't grow. 
Even if you plant it and it grows, you might not see rain for the next how many years. Things don't work normally. You must be subject to the provision of God. You must learn dependency. That's brokenness. Why will you subject yourself to that? Instead of praying, God, my breakthrough must come today. That job, in Jesus' name, I must get it. You will understand this season. No, this is a season of life. It's about putting life inside of me. Say, God, ah, okay, thank you for this season. You are walking, it's a season of working out brokenness. Learning how to be content, as your word says. Be content with whatsoever things you have. To move into that place of blessedness, of the beatitudes, all of those things. And the Lord can move you into a season. When men will revile you, they say all manner of evil against you. Why will the Lord put you in such a season to deal with your pride of life? What is the pride of life? Everybody must see you as one thing. Yes, sir. Just say, ah, look at that guy. Ah, that guy is different too. That guy is different too. Ah, the way he, there's the way he thinks. There's the way he's, you know, there's something about him. The Lord can put you in a season where everybody would think you are dull. Say, say look, why is your own thing different? Have you ever been in such a situation before? Everybody, they will look at, don't you have just common sense? Get your life in order, man. Get things. But they don't know that it's a spirit subjecting you to such a thing. I'm showing you other dealings of God that is not God being everything and giving you everything you want. It's when God begins to care for your soul. He can deprive some things from you. What child is there who the father does not chastise? And no chastisement is, is, is what is exciting in the moment, but it can be grievous. But afterward, the Bible says, it yielded forth the peaceable word, fruit of righteousness. Let's not stay here because so we can close very quickly. Verse 2, it says, For the law of the spirit of life. Do you see that? So there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. From the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For what the law could not do, that's the law of Moses, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of what? Sinful flesh. And for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but what? After what? The spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the word things of the spirit. Verse 6 finally. He says, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is what? Life and what? And peace. Because the carnal man is enmity against God, for he is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. So how will he give you life and life more abundantly? Is to, for the soul to be reoriented as a Christian, not religious Christianity, but Christianity that has daily relationships input and relationship with what he calls the spirit of life 
in Christ. No, he didn't just call it the spirit. He calls it the law, the program, the code, the software, the logos of the spirit of life in what Christ. How does that spirit get installed in your heart? It's by, called the, by the process of revelation. It is quickened revelation by the word of God. When he's taking you around the books of the Bible, like I was saying how this volume is very big, it's, it's, a, it's a raw manual for the Holy Ghost to use. It's not just to make you see your breakthrough and go and pray and get it. It's for to teach you and reculture you and reculture your mind, change your logos and your computer programming into the mind of God. That's the business of Christianity. That's the business of God. That's the business of Jesus. It's not a wicked father that sees the world ravaging souls and, and will do nothing about it. Imagine something ravaging your soul and God is blessing you with car and house and money, whereas the soul is dying with his loss. That's not God. God is in the time, this time is in the business of restoration of life to the souls of men by getting them acquainted with his spirit as the spirit begins to open the Bible, open the New Testament, and reveal the law of the spirit of life in Christ. Father, we thank you. We give you all the glory. Just pray in the spirit. We can pray just for a very short time. Just begin to ask the Lord that this thing called your breath, this thing called your spirit, I want to have an encounter with it. I want to move beyond just the mundaneness of Christianity. I want to move beyond just the cliché. I want to move just beyond the activity. Help my heart, Lord. Help me. Introduce me to this law of the spirit of life. Your spirit that writes your laws in the hearts of men. Your spirit that brings a new programming, a change of mind, a transformation by the renewing of the mind that causes my heart, shows up my heart and will bring security against the thief of life, the one who steals life from the soul. Help me, Father. Reacquaint me by with your spirit. Just pray. No matter how little your prayer today, just trust that the Lord is hearing you. There's a reason you are here tonight. There's a reason you are here, sorry, this morning. is for the Lord is bringing an offering to you. Said, I want to write a new page in my, my walk with you. I want to turn a new page in my relationship with you. I want to come and know you, not in a religious way, but in a personal way. To replenish the life of your soul. To add to the life of your soul. That you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. Our Father, we bless you. We thank you this morning. Lord, we have looked at your word, not with our own leading, but Father, by inspiration. As you've inspired these thoughts to come this morning. Because you want to speak to every heart. And you want to bless every soul. These are your own thoughts. They are your words. Lord, I ask, oh God, that these words will come. And rest in our heart with the requisite power. Even, Lord, the grace. You said it's not by power nor by might. But by my spirit. Father, you said it's by your spirit. 
I ask, O oh God, the Spirit that will usher every one of us fully out to be established in these dealings where your Spirit of life will begin to commune with our heart to raise us and to increase us in life. Help us, Father. Father, for every soul here, let your Spirit come and show us the next step from this, the next thing to do, the next way to align our heart and to respond to you, to begin to come into the realization of this truth that these things will represent how our lives are lived upon the earth. Thank you, our Father. We give all the glory today. We commit the evening time unto your hands. We pray when we come, speak to us again. Bless our heart again. Do not hide your mouth from us. Strengthen our, our bodies, Lord, to stay, Lord, and to be able to listen and press into all that you have to say for this season. Thank you, our God. We give all the glory to your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you so much. <laughs> you dwell between the cherubim shine forth. You dwell between the cherubim shine forth.